This is Nano Taggart, host of Play On, the podcast of the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Thank you for listening. Today we're excited to have a conversation with Jeremy Mann. Jeremy is the director of Into the Woods this summer season. Jeremy has extended experience in music and theater as an actor, director, music director, and educator. At the Utah Shakespeare Festival, Jeremy has directed The Music Man and has been the musical director of many musicals, including Anything Goes and the world premiere of Lend Me a Tenor, the musical. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeremy. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, this isn't your first time with the Utah Shakespeare Festival. You've been here a few years now. I'm wondering this is if my 10th could... season tenth since season. 2002. Oh, wow. And I've primarily been a musical director and conductor. This is my second directing foray here. I did Music Man in yeah. 2011. Awesome. And by did, I mean I directed it. You directed? Yeah. The director directed, not music director. Yeah, correct. Cool. Uh, what, what keeps you coming back to Utah Shakes? Honestly, this has become my artistic home away from home. For the majority of my career as an adult, I've worked uh, in regional theater. Mm -hmm. And I was at a place that was a combination of a teaching uh, organization, a conservatory, but that was also a theater company. Mm -hmm. So I had those sort of built in. Is that PCPA? Yes, that's yeah. correct. PCPA Theater Fest in Santa Maria, California. And then I matriculated to UCLA, mm -hmm. which is largely academic for me. I do some directing and musical directing there, but yeah. um, it's primarily a, a teaching job. So the balance kind of went askew for me, and mm -hmm. I was really grateful sort of in the mid-2000s to land here yeah. uh, in terms of sort of fulfilling my more of my creative artistic life. Cool. So it's been great. I spend about a third of the year here usually, and... Uh, awesome. and uh, the contrast between here and Los Angeles is pretty significant. Oh, <laughs> living imagine, here, traffic is a good thing here. Yeah, I would imagine <laughs> that's not is... a bad word the way it is in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, last time I was in California, the I five almost killed me. I think. Oh yes, so I can... mine is the four hundred five. Okay, yes, also bad. Yeah, <laughs> cool. So what? Uh, you know, we previously talked to Laura Gordon a little bit. Okay, but we haven't uh, had a chance to really ask a director you know, a kind of a seasonal director, what the process is. Like, when do you kind of first come out here and meet with Brian and David, the artistic directors? How does it, how does it all come together? Well, actually, it's probably a longer process than most people realize. Mm -hmm. I was actually here last year musically directing and conducting Anything Goes. Excellent. And was made an offer to direct Into the Woods early in the season. It mm -hmm. was probably in May. Oh, wow. So then that was the beginning of the sort of thinking about it, we started to, I started to get into contact with designers probably later in the summer. And yeah. then by August, we were having pre preliminary design meetings. And um, generally what I do is I read and reread the play. Um, a, an important part of the process for me is to, in approaching any piece, ask the question, why is this important? now why is it important mm -hmm. to tell this story now yeah how is this play relevant and so it's funny because i did direct into the woods 10 years ago but yeah. i'm 10 years older <laughs> and it's one of those plays where the older you get i think the deeper it goes because of life experience yeah. and because of what what the play is really about which is yeah. about transcending self-involved individualism and and heading towards 
functional community. That sounded really academic, but that's really <laughs> what it's a fun play, but that's ultimately what the play is about. And I think, you know, the older you get, the more you realize the the value of community. Mm -hmm. And to be here in Cedar City in a in an environment, a creative environment that is so functional mm -hmm. as as a collaborative entity. Yeah. It's um it's sort of the play is kind of talking about what happens here yeah, or what yeah. could happen here sort of. Um, and so in a way, this place is kind of the, the, what we model in terms of collaboration is I think really what this play is about, yeah. which is community and getting past, uh, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is kind of largely what our society has become mm -hmm. <laughs> lately. And, uh, Polarity. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. And and what I love about the play is that the people who prevail, the people who really survive and grow are the people who at least entertain the idea that I have to I have to believe or entertain the idea that your point of view could be right. Mm -hmm. There's a great line in the song No One Is Alone where they say witches can be right, giants can be good. Uh -huh. And I think that's what the play gets to in the beginning you think kind of like when you're a little kid oh the giant is bad and the witch the witch is bad but they have a point yeah that's <laughs> true they do in terms of their points of view and their um you know their life experience that is just different yeah you mentioned uh, directing the play previously that was for ucla that's about correct. 10 years ago you said right um what do you think mm -hmm gives this play its appeal. I mean, I know, obviously, you have this sort of amalgamation of fairy tales. Right. Um, but you spoke to the why uh, it's so important to make this urgent to the audience right now. What do you think this has hung on? I mean, this is a play that won several Tony Awards in, I think, 88 or 89, uh, the, same year that, the same year the Phantom of Opera. Oh, that's Opera right. Yeah, house. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think we knew immediately this play mattered, but what do you think has kind of kept it it sort of stayed in in the rotation. Well, first of all, I think in terms of a Sondheim piece, it's probably one of the most accessible mm -hmm. musically. And it's also just the first act is just a rollicking good time. It's one of the yeah. best theatrical farces I think ever written, yeah. musical theater or not. Cool. And I think that is really appealing to people. And then just you know, getting inside the heads of fairy tale fairy tale characters that we know like yeah. Little Red Riding Hood and Cinderella in a way that you don't when you see traditional versions of yeah, the story. Absolutely. So I think that's part of it. And then I also think the legs of the show, I think the show is gonna be, you know, for years and years and years to come relevant, is the those themes yeah. that we talked about. Community and um that that ha a happy ending is something that you know, for an adult is less about perfection yeah. and more about a gray area yeah. <laughs> between black, the black and white of polarization, as you said before. Cool. So, and I think it's also just one of those that it, it really is for all ages. I mean, yeah. little kids will relate to this on a certain level, but the older you get, the more you'll recognize more. And how much is going on. Yeah. Yeah. James Lapine was talking about um, in an interview how, from Little Red Riding Hood to Jack, from Jack and the Beanstalk to Cinderella, we sort of have mm -hmm. three stages of youth, like pre-adolescence, adolescence, and then just sort of past it. Yeah. And all of those people sort of raised to a new level of 
understanding and consciousness. Yeah. And um, and so it would be funny to ask a little kid, like, who's the character you're, you're related to the most? Like, yeah. was it Cinderella? Was it Little uh -huh. Red? And um, kind of see how they are with that. But honestly, I think it's one of the most accessible Sondheim pieces. And, um, and again, the themes are, they're timeless. Yeah. You mentioned that we actually get to know some of these fairy tale characters better in Into the Woods than we do in their, you know, sort of native stories. Correct. So this is a play built from fairy tales, but it's certainly not a fairy tale, is it? I mean, there's, the, the characters have more depth. Fairy tales tend to be good or evil, innocent or, you know, world weary. Right. But there's a lot more going on with, with, you know, Jack, for instance, or, I mean, any of the fairy tale characters, really. Absolutely. Lapine said, do yourself a favor and go back and read the original Grimm stories mm -hmm. as an adult. Yeah. Because what you'll find is, oh, Jack was a thief. <laughs> yeah. And Little Red is actually kind of bloodthirsty. And Cinderella is an imposter. She's posing. Yeah. She lies. Uh -huh. <laughs> and when you're a kid, you don't think those things. You're That's identifying true. with the protagonist and you, you want them to, to win. Uh -huh. And I think the really cool thing about this play is that they, uh, the authors, Lapine and Sondheim, examine the sort of moral breaches of these characters that we know really well yeah and you have to stop and think oh yeah cinderella totally lied about who she was yeah <laughs> and it's one of the reasons she gets in, in trouble in this play so yeah it's not a fairy tale although i think what's really fulfilling is that in the first act you get to see all of those characters fulfill their happily ever after the things you're familiar with yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like a, ah that's great and uh -huh. then and then act two <laughs> yeah, it's in Act Two. It kind of all comes tumbling down. Yeah, a bit. literally. Uh, yeah, from the sky. From the sky. Uh, bad things happen to good people in this play. Good people do bad things to people in this play. Correct. It, it's it's not. Um, you mentioned it was accessible, and it certainly is accessible. But there's also, I mean, as many layers as you want there to be, isn't there? I think so. Yeah, and I think, again, it's. And yeah, you know, this is sort of the story of Sondheim's work. I think one of one of his missions is to um, go beyond black and white in terms of characters mm -hmm. and examine sort of the in between. Um, there's a cliche about Sondheim it, in any given moment in a Sondheim play, especially in in the songs. At least two things are going on for the character. Mm -hmm. There's not just one surface of emotion a really good example in this place yeah. cinderella leaving the ball for the third time yeah <laughs> and still not knowing what she really wants, wants to do yeah. but finally getting to the place where she says i i get to make a choice here and the choice i'm making is to not make a decision but put yeah. the ball or the shoe in her case in the other court yeah and um and i think i think that makes the piece really rich yeah and um you know I, I believe there's a place for, you know, mindless, surfacey musical theater that's all about entertainment. Yeah. I think this has that level of fun and entertainment, but then goes deeper. Yeah. Are there any uh, characters or moments in the play that you personally maybe really identify with or find yourself coming back to? Personally, you know, that would change depending on how, you know, I saw the play when it first came out mm -hmm. in 1987 and I was in my late 20s. And, you know, then 15 years later, I think I directed it or more. And now it's that much later. And so I think, I think I've identified with any and all of it at, at different points in my life. Yeah. Um, the, the thing, 
I guess probably the most poignant scene for me is where the baker abandons his happy crew yeah. or unhappy crew in the second act <laughs> because he just, you know, he's lost his wife. Yeah. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's sort of feeling like he can't go on. And his father, who we, we believe is passed away, comes back mm-hmm. to, you know, give him some counsel. And yeah. it's beautiful. I mean, you know, it's, it's Shakespearean in terms of, of that. And, um, and just everybody, you know, everybody, there's a lot in this play about recon, re, you know, parents reconciling with children, children reconciling with parents. Mm-hmm. And I think whether, you know, everybody's a child, <laughs> uh, and not everybody's a parent, but everybody should be able to relate to that. You yeah. know, the, the tension between, um, parents and children and how that can be, um, how you can get past that yeah. to a place of greater understanding and, and again, less polarization, less, um, you know, less rancor between both yeah. sides. So the play kind of revolves around the original characters, right? The baker and the baker's wife a little bit and yeah. their, their journey. Do you think, did the fairy tale characters serve as a foil for the baker and the baker's wife, kind of the more normal characters people might identify with or do you think everybody in this play not just the protagonists go through somewhat of a a transformation i think everybody does yeah yeah and i think in terms of the how my understanding of how the writing evolved lapine and sondheim were originally trying to create their own fairy tale oh wow um but what they realized was that the good fairy tales, the ones that have sta- staying power that we know, actually don't sustain a whole evening's worth of entertainment. And sometimes points to, you know, like a Cinderella play, for example, uh-huh. the Rogers and Hammerstein or the Disney cartoon. They have to pad it <laughs> with a lot. a lot of stuff to get to like an hour and 20 minutes worth. Uh-huh. And um, so I think once they realized, Lapine and Sondheim realized that they couldn't create their own story and sustain a whole evening. Yeah. Lapine came up the with the idea of interweaving all these stories that we know and then adding this new story. And I think they're all yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant writing because every single character mm-hmm. gets to a place of uh I guess new consciousness. Even even the shallower ones like the princes. Yeah. <laughs> um I think I think especially Cinderella's prince gets to a place of realizing who he is and uh-huh. how that's not going to change, which yeah. is, is a level of consciousness, even though he's deciding not to move Certainly. beyond it. Yeah. So did I answer your question? I think so. That, kind yeah, of? You did. Yeah, yeah, you did. There's a lot of growth and development. Yeah, there is. The characters. A hu- yeah, a huge amount. And again, that's why this show has staying power. That's why I think you can see it again and again and see more. Awesome. Cool. Um, we're, we just keep laughing in rehearsal because the joke when this show was produced in New York originally was um, that the show should be called Into the Words <laughs> because the amount of language is insane. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's and But strange. in a good way. Uh-huh. And I and again, I think that's why this is the kind of theater I really like because it's really rich because you can go back and hear more or see more or realize more uh-huh. um, in terms of, uh, you know, where the characters are going and what they're, what they're realizing in the moment. And, yeah. Yeah, I don't think Genius. Any, any, nobody would call this place sparse, I don't think. No, uh, I think rich 
is a is a, is good, a good word. Yeah. yeah, it's a you know kind of a typical two and a half hours uh, for musical theater, right? Yeah, maybe but two two twenty. Two twenty. Yeah. I mean, it is the pacing. I rewatched it recently, the the televised version oh, right. with mm -hmm. most of the original cast, and I was struck by the pacing. How much? I mean, this play just moves and moves <laughs> and moves, and the music comes and goes, and it just yeah. there's an urgency and a, a, a franticness almost. To yeah, what's absolutely. Happening on stage. Yeah, and and how brilliantly it's interwoven, and how the yeah. music kind of comes in and out, and you don't yeah. you don't necessarily realize you're in a song until you're in it. Uh -huh. You know, um, and again, I think that's a, a tribute to um, Sondheim's. Um, Placing the value on character, mm -hmm. which if you trace his lineage back, Oscar Hammerstein was his mentor yeah. as a as a young writer. I think they were neighbors when he was thirteen, and he just an incredible said, hey, story. Uncle Oscar, could you help me with my writing? <laughs> and you know, then if you take Oscar Hammerstein back, he's the hero of the twentieth century musical theater who yeah. really really demanded that there be a reason why a character is singing, mm -hmm. and that it's not just a song that's popular it's not vaudeville either, exactly right? yeah. yeah and he was a you know boy he was a revolutionary in terms of that yeah starting with showboat probably in the 20s and then you know so that goes back what three generations yeah um and now and now we have sondheim who's like our shakespeare <laughs> uh, uh but you can trace it back to hammerstein i yeah. think in 20th century theater very cool uh what what's most challenging as, as a director of this play it's not an easy play I don't think, not for performers, not for uh, anybody involved. But what's been most challenging to you? We're kind of heading into dress rehearsals, if I'm not mistaken. Right. We're actually in the middle of tech rehearsals. So, oh, wow. Uh, you caught me at a good time to talk about <laughs> challenging. Well, there's a lot of moving pieces in this play. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of locations. There's a lot of um, set pieces. For example, Rapunzel's Tower. Yeah. Um, there's probably about at least 15 stage directions that say another part of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you get there? So a lot of it has been sort of just putting a puzzle together uh -huh. and, um, you know, w with staging and with um, this brilliant set that our uh, scenic designer Hugh Landwehr has created that has uh, trees that move and... Oh, cool. um, I won't give too much away, but trees that move and and these uh, w wonderful uh, carriages and horses and towers and things like that. But there's a lot of pieces to it. In fact, I went to a couple of uh, the other technical rehearsals last night, Henry mm -hmm. IV and uh, also Twelfth Night. Yeah. And I sat there going, nothing's moving. It's one set. It's just people moving on the set. <laughs> I mean, in Into the Woods, every time a scene changes, There's, something yeah. has to shift on stage. It's like a, it really is like a puzzle. So while that's challenging, it's also been really fun. It's a really fun challenge yeah. to meet that and, um, and to find creative ideas also to, to use the theater yeah. um, to, to make those locations um, plausible and fun and new mm -hmm. as we go. How um, one thing I've been surprised in, in speaking to some other directors with the festival is kind of how open they are, how open the process is. You mentioned collaboration earlier. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think I imagined, you know, a director having this vision and, and sort of not enforcing it, but 
making people fit with it. With right, it. the Inside emperor. Yeah, 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 exactly. But it's it, it doesn't seem to really work like that. Would you say that's the same even for a contemporary play like this where the, you know, the writers, both Sondheim and Lapine who wrote the book are still alive? Or is it, is it the same, you know, is it the same sort of collaboration? I think so. I mean, first of all, the, the tone that has always been set here is about mm -hmm. open collaboration. That's one of the reasons this is my artistic home. Cool. <laughs> is that that tone is set and um, and uh, Brian Vaughn and David I Ivers are certainly carrying that forward in terms of open dialogues about things. Um, I, and my directing style, frankly, has always been about getting input from everybody on the team about you know what had it best to tell the story. So, yeah. you know, for my money, a scenic designer can talk about the music. A musical director can talk about the scenic design. I think awesome. it, I think that is what helps create a cohesive evening of theater and um and it's interesting your your comment about an existing piece because several people have asked me what's your concept for this play yeah and uh, that makes me laugh because <laughs> i think the concept is written in yeah i don't think this is a play that you can do a lot of anachronism in i don't think it's a play that you can set now with cell phones and yeah because it's clearly for a reason set in a pre-industrial some kind of european era that has castles and peasants and things like that so that mm -hmm. we get to really focus on the human interaction um without technological yeah help and social media and all that stuff i mean i guess you could do a, a highly highly revisionist version of the play but um the authors are indeed alive someone <laughs> i'm sure someone will uh, some yeah point. it could be and yeah. I, i've seen some some production at least for some designs that have looked kind of um mad maxian you know post-apocalyptic oh, wow. and um i you know i would veer away from that just because i think the way you in the sense not very positive, but lure the audience into the heaviness mm -hmm. of the themes is by presenting something that, uh, at least at first glance, looks very traditional yeah. and comforting. So that we're setting them in a world that, like, oh, that is Cinderella. I get it. Like, I, I, yeah. I feel, I feel grounded and relaxed about who she is, mm -hmm. rather than doing her up as Beyonce or something like that. And then I think, <laughs> I think then we get removed from the story and then yeah. we're alienated from where we actually have to go. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. So. Yeah, it's an interesting decision, at least, right, to, to add that sort of element to this. Yeah, production. and I'm not saying that, that it couldn't be done, but I, I just feel like the, um, the, the more traditional setting, in fact, our costume designer, Bill Black, said, I want them to, to be Hummel colors, like Hummel figurine characters. Oh, cool. Like, that's yeah. perfect, because it's so comforting, and everybody loves that. Uh -huh. Then when things get heavy, you're at least invest, you're invested in the characters already uh -huh. and not, and not removed from them hopefully when you mentioned this is a play for just about any audience right and that probably reduces the barriers so younger people can feel a little at home inside sure. the story too right yeah is there any moment that's been the most challenging in the rehearsal process like i said in, in watching this play uh, the pacing and honestly a lot of it just looks really difficult in terms of uh, in timing everything's kind of got to be perfect yeah well especially threats Especially in the first act, it uh -huh. is it is a farce, and so that's about managing traffic and and timing, um, and and I, but I think with any kind of high style piece, which is actually most musical theater, yeah, the challenge is meeting that style and that level of heightened everything, yeah, and having it come from a real place in the characters, cool. so.
you know, it's the problem with, you know, a lot of a lot of high style comedy, especially that that you can get the timing. But if there isn't truth behind it, then it's kind of hollow. Mm -hmm. So that's probably been the biggest challenge. And, you know, it's something, frankly, that we're still going to to work on, have to keep working on as we go through the tech and dress and yeah. preview process is getting back to the real. Yeah. Because a lot of a lot of the obligation of the play is, like you said, the pace and meeting uh, meeting the the style and the farcical elements and things like that. So, uh, I'm fascinated. Anytime I get the chance to speak with someone who's dedicated their life to the arts, um, theater in this case, obviously, I, I like to find a little bit about why. If there was a moment for you when the light turned on, or if it was a gradual thing and you just sort of found yourself doing this and it it, it kept going well. Well, I was really fortunate in that I grew up 20 miles outside of Manhattan. Oh, wow. Uh, I was probably, I know for a fact that I was in the audience of Broadway shows in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> I know that for a fact. Uh, my family was very, very supportive of the arts and, um, and of music. And I also was in a public school system that had an incredible um, theater and arts and music program. So, for example, my choral director who did the musical direction for our shows that we did in mm -hmm. high school was a Broadway national tour conductor. Oh, wow. Um, you know, we had choreographers that came from Manhattan who'd worked on Broadway and off-Broadway shows. So, and I'm the youngest of three, so my two older sisters had been sort of mm -hmm. in this process of um, making theater in my hometown that close to Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think it was gradual. I think I I just knew that um, it was a magical, being in the theater was a magical place to be mm -hmm. um, in a way that it was uh, sacred. Yeah. Uh, I think I intuitively knew when I was really little that here I am sitting in a room with a bunch of strangers in the dark and yeah. we're all get, getting to have the same experience. I still believe that that is a beautiful, beautiful, sacred thing and phenomenon and uh that you can't get you know in the movie theater yeah for example because you're missing the live interaction with the um, actors so that's really where it came from and i think i also was a painfully 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 shy kid so once i sort of got my toes into some community theater thing things probably like around sixth grade mm -hmm. it really helped me um come out of my shell and oh, very cool. be more social. So uh, in, a, in a way, <clears throat> it was built in in my family environment, um, but it was also something that was a sort of lifesaver for me in terms yeah. of me just opening up as a person. Thank you again so much, Jeremy. It's been oh, my pleasure. really a pleasure chatting with you. Thank uh, you. I'm not alone in saying I'm incredibly excited to see this year's production of End of the Woods. Good. Me too. So, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Next week, tune in to hear our conversation with Brad Carroll, director of Comedy of Airs, on June 25th. As always, we'd love to incorporate your questions into the Play On podcast. If you'd like to ask Brad a question, please send it to us by June 20th. We'll be visiting with Josh Stavros and founder Fred C. Adams on July 2nd. They are co-directing The Green Show this season. If you have questions you'd like to ask Fred or Josh, please send them in by June 27th. If you found this podcast through iTunes, you can find more information on the Utah Shakespeare Festival website, www.bard.org, under the News Media tab. 